0: I invite you to turn to 1st Timothy, the second chapter, and we read verses 1 through 7. 1st Timothy, chapter 2, and reading verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given At the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for all of creation. For all those who have ever been born or ever will be born, it is your desire that they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you have given your Son as a ransom for all, Jesus Christ, who is the one mediator between God and man. And so, Father, I pray that you would take now these words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. And I pray, O God, that you would apply them to our lives today for the honor and the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. As you read through these verses of Scripture, there's one thing that becomes very clear, and that is the use of the word all. Did you notice that when I read this text? In verse 1, Paul says that we are to pray for all men. In verse 4, he says that God desires all men to be saved. In verse 6, he says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. So when you see a word like that, repeated over and over again, it causes you to say, Aha! (laughs) This must be a key to understanding this passage. The theme, then, of this passage of Scripture, I think, is clear. Let me state it for you. God cares for all people... And we ought to care as well. So if you forget everything I say, (laughs) write that down. So when you walk out the door and someone says, What did your pastor have to say today? You won't get this glassy-eyed look on your face and say, Oh, I'm not sure. There it is. God cares for all people. And we ought to care as well. So with this in mind, there are three all's that we need to examine this morning. We'll look at them in the order given in the text. First of all, the church must pray for all people. Notice how Paul begins this section by urging us to pray. In verse 1 he says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Notice how he begins, first of all. First of all. I don't believe he's using the word first here in reference to time, as if to say, the first thing I want to talk about is prayer, then I'm going to talk about something else. Seems to me that Paul is using the word first in terms of importance. In other words, prayer is... (laughs) Or it ought to be a priority. Prayer is primary. It's not a last resort. It isn't something we do when all else fails. That's kind of how some people live, right? I've tried everything. I've done everything I could. All I can do is pray. Oh, how awful, huh? All you can do is pray. That ought to be our first importance. We are to begin with prayer. Because we are commanded to pray, and we are convinced that it's needed. Are you convinced that prayer is needed today? Do you think prayer is optional <laughs> in our culture today? If you think prayer is optional, you've been living under a rock. You've been hiding in a cave. Prayer is essential. As you examine who we ought to pray for, you will notice that it's a very broad group. (laughs) We are to pray not just for ourselves, not just for our own family or our own church, or for the ones we love. Paul urges us to pray for all men. Why does he say that? He urges us to move outside of our little circle. If you examine the things we pray for, I would suggest or I guess that a lot of them involves our own little circle, right? My needs, my family's needs, my congregation's needs. Paul encourages us to to move beyond that. Beyond our web of relationships. And if you need an example, he gives us one. Verse 2, what is it? He said, I want you to pray for kings and for all those who are in authority. Now, to some people it might look glamorous to be in a position of authority. But if you've been in a position of authority, you know that it is not always the most easy position to be in. Because... There are times when it doesn't matter what you do because someone will be upset with you, right? It's just like having a target on your chest, saying, shoot here, aim here. It is not easy to be a king or to be in some position of authority. And their job is a very important job because the decisions that people make Those in authority can have a significant impact on our lives. Either in a positive way or in a negative way, so those in authority need our prayers. It is very easy to forget that. It is much easier to criticize those in authority than it is to pray for them. Would you agree? And I think that's one of the areas that we as believers in Jesus need to examine our lives because we probably complain more about those in authority than we pray for them. And maybe part of the reason we complain about those in authority is because we aren't praying for them. Paul says you need to pray for kings and for all those in authority. Now, as Paul writes this to Timothy, who is in authority? What kind of a government was ruling over the lives of the people to whom Paul writes all of his epistles? There was a man by the name of Nero, Roman emperor at that time. And let's just say he was no friend to the Christian. Believers who are being persecuted for their faith, and they have, may have wondered, is, is there anything that they can do about it? What on earth can you do about a man like Nero who hates believers? Well, Paul says there is something you can do. In fact, it is the greatest thing you can do. You can pray for all those who are in authority, and Paul gives them a reason for doing so, a purpose for praying. So that, that's purpose, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. In other words, if we want to make a difference in the culture today, one of the things we can do is to pray for those in authority. Pray that they will use their power, they will use their authority in ways that will bring peace, and order to our lives as citizens. And whether they realize it or not, they need the help of God. Now, some don't think they need the Lord, right? They don't think they need anything. We know they do. We ought to pray for them. And so in Paul's case, it was for a pagan emperor by the name of Nero who hated believers. And so praying for pagan leaders, pagan countries, that's the call here. And it didn't begin with Paul. We read from Jeremiah chapter 29 where God's people were in Babylon. Did you notice how that passage ended? Chapter 29 verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. So if we want welfare, not welfare in the sense of handle but but peace and, and safety, part of the answer to that is to pray for the city, to pray for its leaders, to pray for our country, to pray for its leaders, that God will give courage and wisdom to those in positions of authority. The early church took this to heart. Clement of Rome, towards the end of the first century, he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church about its rulers and and governmental leaders. And here's what he said, Grant them, Lord, health, peace, harmony, and stability, so that they may give no offense in administering the government that you have given them. Tertullian, writing about 200 A.D., says, "...we pray also for the emperors, for their ministers and those in power, that their reign may continue, that the state may be at peace." So these early believers, they took to heart what Paul was saying. They understood that if they're going to have a peaceful culture, a peaceful society people of God need to pray. Pray for those in authority. John Stott in his commentary says, I sometimes wonder whether the comparatively slow progress toward peace and justice in the world and toward world evangel- evangelization is due more than anything else to the prayerlessness of the people of God. Then he says, when President Marcos was toppled in 1986, Filipino Christians attributed his downfall not to people power, but to prayer power. And then Stott asked the question, he says, what might happen if God's people throughout the world learned to wait upon Him and believing, persevering prayer? Do you think that now would be a good time to pray for those in authority? We have an election coming, already started in many places, an election coming on Tuesday. We need to pray that God would put in those positions of leadership people that would stand for truth. And regardless of who is elected, we still need to pray for them. Even if the one you vote for is not elected, you still need to pray for that person. That's God's call to us. And I believe it's a call that we need to take seriously and maybe a call that the church has not taken as seriously as it ought to. So the church must pray for all people, especially those who are in authority. There's a second all we find. God desires to save all people. Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now notice in verse 3, Paul describes God as our Savior. Right? Those who know Jesus, we can say that He is our Savior. But Paul makes it clear that we shouldn't think that salvation is just for us. We're glad we're saved. Who cares about the rest of the world? We're going to heaven. We have Jesus. He's our Savior. We sing together. We worship together. Who cares about anybody else? Paul says we need to look beyond our own little circle of believers and he tells us why. He says God desires all men to be saved. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I wonder if Paul may have been thinking here about some of his uh, fellow Jewish believers who uh, struggled a little bit with the idea that God wants all to be saved. especially Gentiles. And I think of Peter. Remember how he struggled with that? Just, you know, these Gentile people. And so God gave him this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven. And on that sheet, remember, there are all these unclean animals. And, and Peter is told to uh, arise and eat. Kill him and eat. Peter says, no, 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 I can't do that. I've, I've, never, I've never eaten anything unclean. And he was told what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And that wasn't just about food. In Acts 10.34, Peter says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. And so he comes to the, the leaders in Jerusalem and he tells them about his meeting with Cornelius, the Gentile who came to know the Lord. And when they heard this, it says they quieted down. And glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. But for a while there, Peter struggled with that. Jesus came to set his people free. We're, we're the ones, we're the Jews. Oh no, it goes beyond that. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we can be thankful for that because we are Gentiles. And Jesus came for us. God desires that we also be saved. And if God desires that all be saved, then we can be certain that He desires that you and I be saved. We're part of that all, right? We could put our name into the all, right? Like the little girl was asked if she knew that she was saved. And when she said yes, they asked her how she knew she was saved. She said, I put my name into the whosoever, she said. (laughs) I put my name into the whosoever. So, if God desires all to be saved, we can be part of that all, right? Putting our trust in Jesus. And So if God desires all people to be saved, and and if we are among the saved, then we ought to pray for others to be saved. In fact, we ought to pray for kings and all those who are in authority that they might come to Jesus. I think that's the connection that Paul is making here. In verse 2, he says we are to pray for them. In verse 3, he says that this is good in the sight of God our Savior, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that it's his desire that all be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, including kings and those who are in authority. Let me ask you a question. Do you know of anyone in authority who needs to be saved? Is there any governmental leader that you know of that needs Jesus locally, statewide, countrywide? Are there any of them that are in need of Jesus? There's a slug of them, aren't there? Just think what would happen if we prayed that God would save Some of our leaders in our county, our state, our country. And they got gloriously saved. What would the media do with that, huh? Speaker of the House just came to Jesus. Leader of the Senate got saved. The governor of the state committed his life to Christ. Is that not possible? Do we believe that God hears and answers prayer? We pray for all those in authority. (laughs) Pray for their salvation. Pray that they'd come to know Jesus. Wow. Wouldn't that be interesting? If God did a wonderful work in the lives of those who are leaders. So the church must pray. For all people, because God desires to save all people. And thirdly, because Christ died for all people. See the progression? The church must pray for all, because God desires to save all, based on the foundation that Christ died for all. Look at verse 5. For there is one God And one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. Paul is absolutely clear that Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and men. So if someone is going to be saved, it must be and will only be through Jesus. The scripture is abundantly clear on that. There are not many pathways to God. It is only through Jesus. He is the one and only mediator. The word mediator comes from a word meaning middle or in the midst. And so it pictures one who stands in between two parties and brings about reconciliation. Those who are at odds with each other. A mediator brings them together. And I can't help but think of Job. In Job chapter 9, listen to what Job says in verse 29. He says, "...I am accounted wicked." Why then should I toil in vain? If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. And he says, For he is not a man that I may answer him that we may go to court together. He says, God's not a man. I can't just go to court against him. And then he says in verse 33, he said, There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon both of us. Isn't that interesting? He says, how can I come to God? How can I represent myself before God? He is holy and I am sinful. If only there were someone between us. (laughs) Oh, yes. There is someone between, right? And that's Jesus. He is the one and only mediator. And so the cry of Job for an umpire between us who would lay his hand upon both was fulfilled in Jesus, the mediator, the go-between, between sinful man and a holy God. And Paul says that Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for all. The phrase gave Himself means that Jesus sacrificed Himself. He offered Himself deliberately and voluntarily as a payment for sin. Jesus is the good shepherd that lays down His life for the sheep. And Paul says he did it as a ransom for all. A ransom was the price paid for release of, of slaves from captivity. The word implies that we were in bondage to sin, unable to save ourselves, and that the price paid for our sin and our deliverance was the death of Christ in our place. I can still picture my father standing like this with open arms, And saying at the cross, Jesus put one hand into the hand of a holy God and one hand in the hand of sinful men. And through the cross, He brought them back together. That's the one mediator, Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. (laughs) For all. So again, put your name in the all. Put your name in the whosoever. (laughs) that if Jesus died for all, He died for you. He died for me. A ransom for all. There was a man, his name was Mr. Klein. And he was discouraged and he happened to walk by a church one night. And he heard them singing this song, this hymn, the chorus goes, Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind and Jesus died for me. Well, Mr. Klein's hearing was not very good. And when he th- heard them singing Jesus died for all mankind, he thought they were singing Jesus died for old man Klein. <laughs> so he went into the church and he heard the gospel and his life was was changed. He was saved. He heard wrong, but he heard Right, at the same time, right? (laughs) Jesus died for all mankind. And Jesus died for me. So if Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for all, then we who know Him, we have a message to proclaim to the world. We need to tell the world that God desires that all would be saved. We need to tell the world that Jesus died for all. That's a message that that we need to proclaim. That's what our culture needs today. It needs the gospel of Jesus. The good news of salvation. Now this truth made an impact on the life of the Apostle Paul. We see that in verse 7. He says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of whom? As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. If you would have asked Paul before he was saved on the road to Damascus if he would become a preacher to the Gentiles he would have said you have got to be kidding. Do you realize how much I hate them? These uncircumcised dogs as he would have called them. But after Jesus saved him on that road to Damascus, Paul wanted all people to be saved, both Jew and Gentile. And so he was appointed, he was called by God, and he willingly did what God called him to do as a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. His desire was God's desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me ask you do you do you want all people to be saved? Do you want others to experience the joy, the peace, the forgiveness, the hope that you have in Jesus? He is our savior. But we don't want to keep it within the walls of of the church. We need to bring it out into the culture as we meet with people in various walks of life, proclaiming that God loves them. God wants them to be saved. God gave His Son as a sacrifice on that cross, that they would come to know Him and experience eternal life. God cares for all people, and we ought to care as well. Let's pray. Lord, your word is clear. Your desire is that for kings and all those in authority would come to know you. Your desire is that all would be saved and and come to the knowledge of the truth. Thank you that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. And Lord, I pray that we would proclaim that message from the rooftops that we would proclaim it wherever we go and whoever we meet. Father, open our mouths to share that good news and help us to pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those who don't know you, that they might come to know the joy of salvation, the joy of knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite you to stand as we sing. No, not yet. We come to the Lord's table. Dearly beloved, as we purpose to come to the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should carefully examine ourselves as Paul exhorts us. For this sacrament has been instituted for the special comfort and strengthening of those who humbly confess their sins and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But if we do examine ourselves, we shall find nothing in us but sin and death, from which we cannot set ourselves free. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ has had mercy on us and has taken on himself our nature, that he might fulfill for us the whole will and law of God and suffer and for our deliverance suffer death and all that we through our sins deserve. And to the end that we should confidently believe this and be strengthened by our faith, He has instituted the Lord's Supper in which He feeds us with His body and gives us to drink of His blood. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this cup firmly believing the words of Christ dwells in Christ and Christ in Him and He has eternal life. We should also do this in remembrance of Him of His death and how He was delivered for our sins and raised for our justification. And with grateful hearts we should take up our cross and follow Him and according to His commandment love one another even as He has loved us. For we are all one bread and one body even as we are partakers of this one bread and drink of this one cup. Would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner he took the cup. When he had eaten and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may now take the bread, the body of Christ, broken for you. And now take the cup, the blood of Christ, shed for you. our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, who now has bestowed upon you His holy body and blood, whereby He has made full satisfaction for all your sins. May He strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto everlasting life. Peace be with you. Amen.